Welcome to Thoughtfully Mindless. My guest in this episode is Dr. Katie Williams. Dr. Williams holds a doctorate in psychology with an emphasis in cognition and instruction. She's also a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Washington. And above all, she's a passionate advocate for the law of attraction and positive mindset. And that's what she covers on her podcast, the Dr. Williams Podcast. In this conversation, Dr. Williams shares her insights into her journey in psychology and her passion for the law of attraction. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And with that, let's welcome Dr. Williams. Dr. Williams, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So we're going to talk about psychology, law of attraction today. I think a good place to start is your journey. How did you end up where you're at in psychology and and being an advocate for the law of attraction, um, start wherever you feel you would like to. Okay, it's kind of a long story. It pretty much took place my entire life up to this point, um, which I didn't realize early on. But now looking back, I can see that every step was a stepping stone to getting to the knowledge I have now, the wisdom I have now, that kind of thing. I actually, as, as far as psychology goes, I was pre-dental. So I thought I was going to be a dentist. I wanted to be an orthodontist. And I was majoring in dentistry as an undergrad when I took a psychology class just as an elective. I just thought, just some credit. And I fell in love with it. And I was like, this is super interesting. And I realized that I had a passion for understanding what makes people tick, which probably has something to do with wanting to understand myself. And that's usually the way it goes, I think, for most people that are in the field, is there's something personal that kind of fueled heading in that direction. Yeah. So that was it. I went into psychology and I never looked back. Um, actually, that's not entirely true. For a moment there, I was majoring in business because somebody told me I should. And then I was like, no, this is ridiculous. I like psychology. This is what I want to know about. So that was just a little blip in time. And I realized the error of my ways and <laughs> refocused back onto psychology and uh, finished my undergrad. And then I couldn't find any work that was psychology related, at least that made any more than minimum wage. So I had to go back to school and I got my master's and then I became a counselor. So I was a mental health professional for three years working with children and two years working with adults and veterans specifically. And that was the whole of my mental health career because I ended up getting sick and had to pull away from it. It's pretty stressful if you're somebody who takes things on, which I now realize that I am an empath. And so I'm open emotionally. And that means that I'm sitting in a room where there's a lot of negative emotions usually in a therapy session. Yeah. And I was taking it all on. So it manifested in a really negative way for me. And I had to pull away from it. And I decided to go back to school, but I didn't want to give up the field. So that's why I went into my doctorate. And I decided, I don't know what I'm going to do with this, but I'm going to continue my education and hopefully find my path along the way. And while in my doctorate program, I decided I was going to read the Bible. And I just hadn't really been that involved in religion. It had been kind of hit and miss. I had some influence growing up. My paternal grandmother 
was a big influence religiously, um, but I never really adhered to it. And then I just got this idea that I wanted to read the Bible from Genesis all the way through Revelation, and I was going to commit to it. And so while I was getting my doctorate, I also did that. And that took me four years, finishing the Bible, and my doctorate took me six. So that was the connection for me where psychology and my spiritual journey kind of merged. And I ended up actually making religiosity one of the aspects of my research study for my dissertation because it was so prominent in my life at that time. And um, after finishing that, uh, finishing the Bible, I wanted more information. And I decided to go to the library and I ended up reading Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. And that is where I pivoted from religion to spirituality is how I explain it because I I kind of left religion behind and felt like I found what resonated with me. And that eventually led to the universal law of attraction and what I believe to be the merge of where that comes together with mental health. Can you, well, first of all, I've always kind of wondered this when I go to the dentist, like pre-dental, like why do people want to work in, in the mouth? <laughs> it just seems so weird to me. Like, it's a weird experience being in a dentist chair. Yeah. And I'm like, it must be a weird experience for people like, you know, fumbling around in your mouth and trying to. So what was your interest in dental? Was it financial? Was it like a, an interest in teeth or, or what, what triggered that? It is kind of weird, isn't it? And actually, it's kind of a gross profession. <laughs> There's some nasty things that happen that are associated with the mouth. Um, actually, it was a personal reason. I... My teeth had always been spaced and I had self-confidence issues growing up. And once I had braces, I felt like it helped my confidence and Mm. I was able to step into feeling better about myself. And at that time, I processed that as being related to your smile and I wanted to help other people to have the similar experience. Okay. Nice. I feel like the business doesn't need to be explained too much. Everyone is told that get an MBA, get a business degree. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it wasn't for me. But it's kind of funny because a lot of people want to own businesses and then go to business school. And it's like, you don't actually need a degree to own a business. You can just, you can be 18 and start a business. You can be under 18 and start a business. So yeah, you also can have a doctorate and then do a podcast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, With you, you said you transitioned from religion to spirituality. Can you dive into that a little bit and explain what you mean there? I think that while I was reading the Bible, I really felt like I'm a Christian. And to me, that meant taking every word at face value Mm. in the Bible. And it came along with a lot of baggage, right? A lot of judgments of others and expectations of how you're supposed to be in this life. yeah. And those things never really made me feel very good. And I came to find out I had a lot of guilt and shame associated with my religious beliefs. And once I read the Conversations with God book series, and the information in there resonated with a knowledge within me that I had always known, but no one had ever validated it for me, because my influences were all religious. And once I found this book, it was like, 
having a mentor mm. or somebody that I just was like, where have you been my whole life? This is how I feel. And it just felt like truth to me. And I just had to step away from religion to the point where I kind of had to turn my back on it for a while. And I didn't, I had to eventually realize that I don't have to say no to one to say yes to the other. There's a merge that can happen with that. I can take what I believe from both sources. And that's what I do now. But at the time, I was more black and white. And I had to just cut that tie and head down this other path that allowed me to feel more free and release the guilt and the shame. Interesting. Can you explain a little bit what the content of Conversations with God is? Uh, who was the author again? It's Neil Donald Walsh. Okay. And it's a book series. Um, there's three in the original series. I believe there's also a fourth book, which I have not read. But it's written what he did. What Neil did was he sat down and had his own questions that he wanted to ask God. And he did some like automatic writing. I don't really know completely what his process was, but he was able to receive information from what I refer to as source energy or what a lot of people refer to as God. And so he asks questions, like the kind of questions that you would want to ask God. And then he made a book of the questions and the answers. Hmm. Interesting. So he yeah. kind of, I don't want to say had a conversation with God, but inferred what he thinks God would say in that, in that question, like each well, question. It's interesting you put it that way because we do all have our perception, right? And that's part of the experience. When you have a conversation with anybody, you filter it through your own life experience. So yes, it's not a direct conversation with God that you would have. Your mm. experience would be different. So it's his version of his conversation with God. Okay. Interesting. So what is the law of attraction? Explain for listeners what that is exactly. Uh, I think most people, I, I can't remember when the, the movie and book came out, but The Secret, Secret. right? Um, I think that was about 20 years ago now that that was really big. I think a lot of people, that's most of their familiarity with it, including mine. I didn't have a great deal of familiarity with it before this. Yeah, that was actually how I got introduced to Law of Attraction myself was the secret. And oh my gosh, was it really 20 years ago? Because it doesn't feel like it's been that long, but I guess it was. I was living at home and I had read the secret and I decided that I wanted to manifest a Caramello because it was my favorite candy bar. And sure enough, I manifested that candy bar and man, did I feel powerful. <laughs> But no, it really worked. And I thought, wow, this is a whole way of living. But you know, as things do, you kind of fall out of the hype. It was a hype. It definitely was a hype. And got back to living regularly for a long, long time until I found Abraham Hicks. And that is what I associate with universal law of attraction now is Abraham Hicks. Abraham is a collective consciousness. And that can be kind of difficult to understand if you're not in the spiritual world. But as far as God or source energy is concerned, there's no one entity. It's all of us. 
we all are the same source energy. Mm. So there's certain aspects that come together as a collective, which come through as a being. And Esther Hicks is the individual who channels Abraham. It's very similar to what Neil was doing. Neil was communing with a collective consciousness and asking questions and receiving answers. And Esther does the same thing. She just gave the collective the name Abraham. Hmm. Okay. And Abraham talks about the law of attraction and how you can line up with it so it's working for you rather than against you. Because the law of attraction does not discriminate. It gives you exactly what you are. So that's referring to your vibration. We all have a a vibrational frequency that we are emitting, and the universe receives that signal and then mirrors it back to us. So if you are, let's use an example, but what's something that you want? I want to have a very successful podcast. Mm -hmm. Okay. So your career success is Mm -hmm. something that you're really focused on that's at the forefront of what you want in your life right now. Yeah. When you think about it, do you feel really good thinking about it? As in you're lining up with that success and having it? Or do you feel kind of like it hasn't happened yet? I'm a very impatient person. um, And my girlfriend can attest to this. I, I get negative very easily. Okay. So, and that's what happens to most people. Because the way that things are, that the way they are around us is hard to ignore. These are full-fledged manifestations that we're living and experiencing with our senses. And in order to change it and actually create it to be the way you want it to be, you have to line up with the feeling of already having it. Hmm. And that's the part where most people feel like law of attraction isn't a real thing or it's not working or they just think it's some bunk kind of deal because they're not seeing it in their own lives. But it's because they're not actually emitting the frequency of having that thing that they want. Interesting. Uh, What are the limitations of it? Or, Or I guess dive into that a little bit with having the mindset that you already have what you want. That might seem a little foreign to a lot of people. Okay, I'm just going to keep talking to you directly because you're the person in front of me. Yeah, yeah. Are are you a thinker or a feeler? I would say a thinker, but primarily. Yeah, primarily a thinker. Okay. So your mind, are you familiar with Eckhart Tolle? Yes. Okay. In his book, The Power of Now, he talks about how we are all inflicted with this negative mind kind of syndrome. And that is working against you. If you're in your mind and you're thinking about negative things, then that's making you feel negative and the universe is sensing that feeling and bringing you more of the same. Hmm. So that's how mind, emotion, and universe communicate together. You have to reach for the feeling of the thing you want. So if I was working with you, say that we were having a session together, we were having a co-creation session together, which is what I, I offer 
I would work with you in finding that feeling and talking about the way it's going to feel when you yourself look around and see the success of your podcast Hmm. and actually get you to imagine it a little bit, daydream a little bit, and use your creative power to actually conjure up the feeling as if it's happening right now. That allows you to then be that beacon of attraction for that thing. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. Um, Something popped into my mind when you were saying that, that uh, do you listen to the Huberman uh, Huberman Labs ever, Andrew? Huberman? I've heard of that, but I haven't listened to it. No, he's a cognitive biologist. I, I I'm forgetting exactly what his title title is, but he's at Stanford, and he'll go over like scientific papers, and he tries to stick to the science. And I remember him talking about goals and motivation, and there was a whole conversation that he had about it. And he mentioned, you know, you don't want to share your goals with everybody because sharing your goals basically releases some of that dopamine, makes you feel like you've already achieved something that you haven't really put your time into yet. You okay. don't want to release all your dopamine just talking about something you actually want to do it, right? Well, he also mentioned that one of the ways to stay motivated and I, I'm probably going to botch how he said it, but he basically said, you want to almost picture yourself failing and, and imagine what that feeling is going to feel like to motivate yourself to keep going because it's like that n- you don't want that negative, right? So you want to focus on what that would feel like to keep going. Uh, what would you have to say with that? Okay couple different things. Um, First of all, I would say that imagining things on the negative is a dangerous way to go. What you think about, you get whether you want it or not. And I wouldn't recommend doing that. However, on the motivation piece, I see a little bit of benefit in that. I would explain it a little bit differently. The things that are negative in our lives are the contrasting things. There's a dichotomy to everything, right? There's duality. Mm -hmm. So for every negative, there's also a positive. And when you are working to be a deliberate creator, you are the pointer. So you are choosing which thing you're looking at in that duality. Am I going to look at the negative or am I going to look at the positive? And sometimes if you get really good at this, Looking at the negative allows you to jump to the positive because if you recognize it as the contrast, which had to occur in order for you to gain clarity about the positive, then that's a good thing and it's working for you. But more focus on the negative is going to create more negative and more focus on the positive is going to create more positive. That's universal law. That is the way it is. And what you were describing sounded very science-based to me, and I have a love-hate relationship with science. I spend, I mean, all my education is science-based. So I have a good foundation in science, but I have pivoted more toward intuition, which is something that you can't prove. Because 
that's the connection with that power, that overall umbrella power of the universe. And that's where all energy and creative force resides. And so if we're talking about making your life the way you want it to be, my advice is do not worry about the negative. Talk about it the way you want it to be. Hmm. You mentioned having a love-hate relationship with science. And I, I love science, but I also have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with it. And I feel like it's not understood by a, a lot of people. And a lot of people that don't understand what science is, and in my opinion, it's just a tool. It's not anything more than that. It's a tool that's used by humans, and it can be corrupted, it can be misused, and so many other things. And I feel like we have a society that kind of deifies science to at least some degree where they say, yeah, no, science says this, science says that. And it's like, that's not what science is. Science isn't some entity saying this is true and this is false. Um, Don't get me wrong, we can have empirical evidence like line up to show something pretty, you know, have strong evidence for or against something being true. But there's also this uh, desire by a lot of people to have a double-blind study for everything. And it's not really possible for everything. And there's also financial incentives to take into consideration too. Like I I saw this, it was on Instagram, it was some herbal herbal healing uh, account. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something about putting an onion on your foot when it, when you're sick. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. So I don't know if there's any truth to it or not, but I just noticed that somebody put a comment about it. Is this is this is there peer-reviewed studies on this? And I'm like, probably not. There's probably not studies, but just because there's not studies on something doesn't mean that it's not true. Like things that were true before a study was done on it were true before that and they're true afterward. The study doesn't make it true or false. It's just uncovering whether it's true or false in a verifiable way, really. I agree with you. So did you put the onion on the bottom of your foot? (laughs) No, I haven't. (laughs) I haven't been sick, luckily. (laughs) Well, when you do... I feel like you're going to need to check in with everybody and let them know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, it would be an interesting uh <laughs> it would be an interesting experiment. But I agree with you. I mean, in general, I I have that love-hate relationship with science because I think it's misunderstood by a lot of people, but it it's a very valuable tool at the same no, time. No, I agree with you. I I share those sentiments actually exactly. Um it really came to the forefront for me during COVID mm-hmm. because everybody was passing studies back and forth as far as yeah. like the vaccine went and there was this battle happening, right? Those that were for it and those that were against it. And I'm sorry to say that I got wrapped up in it and I don't usually take a position on anything, but I did get wrapped up in that debate and I was trying to help people see that a study is as good as the parameters of the study. Yeah. And you cannot just take the results at face value. You have to understand exactly the parameters that went into that study in order for you to understand the results as it pertains to those parameters. Yeah. And that's my biggest thing with with science is 
okay, you cannot conclude something. You have to understand that it was a, a very unique situation that offered these results. Yeah. Yeah, the, you touch on something very important is the parameters that are set in a, in a study. And uh, people would just parrot the words safe and effective. And I would caution people when they said that. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Because first of all, if you're going to set that parameter, if you're going to decide something is safe or effective, you have to set those parameters and decide what is safe, what is effective. Because every drug, every vaccine on earth is going to have some negative effects for a small portion of people. And depending on how you define safe, that could be a bigger or smaller portion of people that are negatively affected by it. But more than that, like that parameter aspect is so important because you can, a study only answers the questions that it's asking. Like a study that, you know, the COVID vaccine, for instance, it doesn't have to be that, but they're only answering a certain amount of questions. And it's, it's usually about one or two questions that you can really ask in a study because after that, your variables are so great that you can't keep track of what is what anymore, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Like the study I did for my dissertation, I thought that what I was going to find was a correlation between religiosity and GPA. I thought that students that were religious were going to have higher GPAs, but it ended up being the opposite. But mm -hmm. I'm not going to go and conclude that all religious students are dumb because, <laughs> because there's no correlation between high GPA and religiosity. That would be ridiculous. That would yeah. be such a huge blanket statement to make and incorrect. Like GPA is a variable, right? You don't know what do you consider to be high? What do you consider to be low? Like there's all these different things like asking more questions rather than just going, this proves the point that I'm lining up with. So I'm going to go with it. And that's what people want to do. They want to be right. Yeah. Well, and, and that's something I'm 38. So I saw the rise of Google and, uh, you know, search engines like that. And Google was kind of funny when it first came out. And still to this day, it's the same thing is people can look up, give me whatever proves this right. Give me whatever proves this position right. And it's like, if you're against capitalism, tell me why capitalism is bad. If you're against socialism, tell me why socialism is bad. See, this is why it's bad. And, um, you're just confirming your own bias at that point, and you're using a search engine to do it. And mm -hmm. same thing with, with studies, scientific studies is in any, to go back to COVID, like COVID is a newer virus. It, it's something that's new. And there's science, there's studies being done on it actively. The vaccine is fairly new, only, re only released three years ago. So we're still seeing evidence come in, like, and that's going to be the case for the foreseeable future. And you can't just find one study that has, proves your opinion and say, this is the truth. That, I mean, that's just not how science works in the first place. So, yeah, which actually brings me to what is that? Like, 
Let's understand that from a human perspective. Why is that so important to people? It's that need for validation. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that comes from a disconnect. What I talk about on the podcast and what I am doing in my own life is to learn how to connect the two aspects of myself. That is my human consciousness with my spiritual higher self. Every person has two aspects to them. And when you connect those two, that's what I refer to as being in alignment. When you are in alignment with your higher power, with your human consciousness, nothing gets better. That is a state of attraction that we are all striving for. Because when you're in that state, everything you want comes to you easily. You feel good. You have no complaints. You're enjoying your life. And that's the whole purpose of life is to find it satisfying. Mm. But when you need external forces to validate you, you're looking in all the wrong places. Everything is within you. And finding that validation between you and you is all that you really need. I mean, can you imagine? Let's just pull Jesus into the mix here. Can you imagine Jesus and his position on COVID? I mean, is he going to get vaccinated? I don't know. I don't know if Jesus would get vaccinated, but I don't think that he would take a side, right? Yeah. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to be validated for what he believes. He's connected. It doesn't matter. He knows what he knows, and that's right for him. And we all can do that. I I like that you pointed that out because I actually think more people should embrace the idea of not taking a side in in many debates because I think there are examples where there is a right or wrong, where there is this side's right, this side's wrong. Fine. But even turning something into a this or that kind of question, this side or that side, often obscures the complexity of the question at hand or the or the topic at hand and and it stifles honest discussion and debate. It's a good point. It really is hard to find somebody where you can feel that kind of openness and them also meet you there with that. Yeah. Where you can discuss things even if you have opposing views and you know that it's okay. You don't have to argue and fight about it. You're just talking about it. And I love that, right? Yeah. That's stimulating to me. Yeah, I mean, it's why I'm doing a podcast. I think some of the most engaging conversations I've ever been a part of when it comes to contentious topics are conversations with people I disagree with. Even if I'm trying to state my case from a position believing I'm right, I usually walk away realizing that there was something that I wasn't seeing. It doesn't mean my position changes fully, but it does mean, oh, I need to take that into consideration. What they were saying actually has some merit. And I think, you know, especially when you get into stuff like politics and stuff, people are just, they want to be right. They, you know, their side is the right side, of course. Um, and there's this tendency to look at people as evil or bad intentioned like and i don't think that's usually the case i think most people are 
well-intentioned, trying to make sense of the world, and often pursuing the exact same ideals that you are, just coming at it and coming up with a different solution, or maybe not seeing what you, you could be right about something, but maybe they're not seeing what you're seeing, or maybe you're not seeing what they're seeing, and simply holding that position like, I'm right, I need to prove I'm right, they're wrong, I need to prove them wrong. It's just the wrong way to approach most topics, I think. Yeah. Well, it really is the difference between being open-minded or closed-minded. Yeah. If you're open-minded, you're open to hearing other perspectives. And sometimes you do gain some kind of insight and you change the way you look at it. I, I find this with my husband. We do things differently. Mm-hmm. We are very different people. And sometimes the way he does it, if I look at it and I'm like, well, why are you doing it that way? I would do it like this. And he explains it to me. And if if I say, okay, I understand that and that is a better way, then I will adopt that way Yeah, because I'm open to it. But if I'm stubborn and I'm like, no, you need to do it this way because my way is better just because it's my way, then that's closed-minded. Yeah. I think open-mindedness is very beneficial. I'm a very open-minded person. And looking at my positions I've taken over the years, like I've completely changed positions numerous times on many issues in my life, many topics of conversation. So one of, uh, I don't say it when I start the episodes, but maybe I will one day um, start saying it again. When I first released the podcast in 2020, I did like 10 episodes and then I stopped. I let career get in the way. But my, I don't know what you call catchphrase. Um, used to be where we know we know less than we don't. And I like to approach things from a place of humility. Like, I don't know everything. You know, I can only read so many books in my life. And there are thousands and thousands times more books out there than what I will ever be able to read. So there's so much knowledge and information out there that it it would just be too arrogant to believe that I can actually accumulate all of that knowledge in my own head and and be right about even most issues, if not all, you know, like you just can't, you can't do it. It's an arrogant position to hold, in my opinion. Well, I'm going to challenge that a little bit. I'm going to challenge it. I'm going to say something. And then I want to ask your question. I want to ask you a question about something. Yeah. I get what you're saying, and that is a humble approach, and I think that that is really good for connecting with people. But I disagree in that we all have the ability to connect with infinite intelligence, and that's that alignment that I was talking about. If you know how to tune into your higher self, all of the answers to every question is there, and everybody has that ability to tap into. It's just a matter of nurturing that connection and receiving information. And I do that while I practice this in meditation and there's signs in my life that my inner being sends to me that communicate certain things to me. But if you had a problem and you really wanted the answer, you wouldn't have to go to a book or an external source of any kind, a person or anything. You tune in. You ask the question and you sit quietly 
and you wait for the answer to occur to you. Have you ever gotten like a really good idea where you're like, oh, that's a great idea or like an invention? You Mm -hmm. ever thought, oh my gosh, that's a million dollar idea right there. Those are inspired moments of intelligence that you're receiving. And a lot of people don't realize that. They don't realize that that is their connection with their higher self that's allowing that information to come in. So you wouldn't have to read every book. All the answers are really within. It's just a matter of asking the question. So I wanted to say that, Mm -hmm. put that out there. And then I wanted to ask you something because this has been on my mind lately and I haven't talked about it on the podcast yet, but it's something that I want to form formulate an episode around. I was watching Smut TV. I was watching Selling Sunset. Are you familiar with Selling Sunset on Netflix? Okay. So it's drama. It is way too much drama, but there's some really beautiful houses and manifesting a nice house is something that I'm aligned with in my life. And I like to watch the show and see what it would be like to live in a house like that. But it comes with all this drama. There was a person involved in the drama who is somebody who you would refer to as playing both sides of the fence or not being loyal because they're able to flip-flop. And I started thinking, well, I'm kind of like that because I can see both sides to any kind of discussion. If I was sitting in a session with a married couple and they were telling me about their problems in their marriage, I would be able to align with each of them individually to see their independent sides. And I guess that makes me a flip-flopper because I can go back and forth. Now, what do you think about that? People don't generally like people that don't take a side and say, this is what I believe. This is my standpoint. What about these people that can see both sides? Yeah, I would consider myself someone that can see both sides usually. Um, and and it's it's hard because there are positions that I would take where I I am I could take a side, but then I could still see valid points that another side might have. I think it has to do with your intention behind it. Are you flip flopping to just stay in the graces of both sides and not try to upset anybody, which honestly, I, I feel like I do sometimes. Sometimes I just don't. It's not a bad intention. You know, I, I don't want to upset people, but like, why though? Like, is it, I don't know. I guess Can it you depends. trust somebody who does no. that? I think that's what it comes down to. People don't like people that flip-flop because they feel like they can't trust them. They yeah. want to trust somebody who sees it the way they see it. Yeah. And I think this that's where the divide happens. If you're only bringing people in to be close to you who see everything the way you do, then think of all the people that you are alienating just because they're able to see things differently. Yeah. When I think you need those people who see things differently no matter what. Like let's say you have a a position on a contentious topic and you close yourself off to anybody who doesn't see things the way that you see them. Well, now you're just in an echo chamber and you're no longer hearing 
the strong the strongest arguments against what you believe. And I think if you want to hold a position and be on the side of truth, if if you can figure out what is truth in a certain situation, then you need to expose yourself to the strongest arguments against what you believe. Because if your position doesn't hold up against the strongest arguments against it, then it's either not a strong position or you have not thought out your position and articulated it well enough yet. That's really good advice for anybody that's preparing for a debate, for sure. (laughs) Well, it is. Yeah, that's what you would do. That's what you would do to prepare yourself. And in that way, you would understand your position more Yeah, because you're understanding the other position more. Yeah. Well, I have a question. You mentioned like an invention. You get an idea for an invention. If that's your higher, I, I don't know. Your inner being or your higher power, yeah. Higher power. Higher self. Higher self speaking to you. And it's it has the potential for infinite wisdom. Why do people get those invention ideas that are sometimes already invented? Like they get this idea. I have a friend, he's a genius, and he'll, he'll he's one of the most creative people I've ever met. And he'll get these invention ideas, but most of the time, there's something that's already been done. I don't mm-hmm. want to say most of the time, but every once in a while, he'll get a very good idea. And I've had this myself where I get an idea, start looking into it. Uh, yeah, that's already been done. Yeah. So in that situation, why doesn't your higher self know that it's already been done? Well, maybe, well, your higher self would. Your higher self would know that it's been done, but it doesn't mean that it's not still stimulating to you. Mm. Every thought that's ever been thought is still around. And that's how we can line up with energy for or with entities that have already passed. So say you have Leonardo da Vinci, okay? And you are going to decide to sit down and paint a picture. You could essentially line up with that energy of that person that used to live who has a passion for painting and you can feel the way that they felt when they painted. You're lining up with an energy. Everything is energy. So even though you're receiving this idea and it's been done before, doesn't mean that it still wasn't a stimulating idea. You're lined up with whoever made that. Like, Mm. Think about that. That person who made that invention, you guys had the same idea. You guys are lined up with that same energy that you both found to be exciting and satisfying. And it doesn't mean there's not some area for you to pursue there or some maybe you will take it a step further and go, yeah, well, this has been invented, but this would make it better, right? right? This, If I did this, it would make it even better. I think there's a tendency to cut ourselves down. So say you get that idea and you're like, that's a brilliant idea. And you look it up and you're like, oh, it's been done before. So now you have now just cut it off and let it go. You don't know where it would have taken you. Mm. If you had allowed yourself to sit with it and go, okay, well, why am I receiving this idea? And I think that's that's where you nurture that relationship. It's where you go, okay, why did I receive that idea and ask that to infinite intelligence and 
see what comes through. It's all guidance, but you have to want to know what it means in order to get the answer. How does somebody connect with their higher self? How, what are the best ways to go about doing that? Um, would your higher self be the same as intuition? Like when you're being intuitive, are you connecting with your higher self? Is that what you I look at in a way? Yes. I look at intuition as being the communication that is happening between your higher self and your human consciousness. Because when you feel you get a sense of something, you're feeling that intuition is always a feeling and your feelings are your guidance. If you are feeling bad, you know, you're out of alignment. If you're feeling good, you know, you're in alignment with that higher self. The best way to connect, that was your question. Meditation is very important. It also has this weird kind of stigma around it where people are like, meditate, okay, that's for hippies and that's for psychic people. And, you know, they feel like it has this connotation to it. But all meditation is, is stopping your thoughts. Yeah. And How often do any of us actually intentionally stop thinking? Our minds are going constantly. And to find a little bit of peace where there's quiet space allows you to open up the lines of communication to receive a message. But you can't do it if it's loud all the time and chattery. Yeah. What is the best way, in your opinion, to meditate? Like I've I've done meditation, and I I'm actually out of practice right now. Um, I've been a little bit dysregulated over the last few months. But when I meditate, I do short sessions, seven minutes, um, and I meditate on the breath primarily. Uh, so I just focus on my breath, focus like ba- basically right on your nostrils, where the, where the air is coming in and out. And I'll essentially focus on that sensation, focus on the air going in and out. And as thoughts come into my head, I acknowledge them and then take it back to my breath. So I'm I'm basically training my mind to, in my opinion, be able to focus on what I want it to focus on. What is your preferred way of meditation? And um, if, if you have any critiques for the way I do it, feel free to share them too. I think I think you're spot on with what you're doing. Do you actually achieve a quiet mind when you focus on your breath? Yeah, I would say I don't achieve it for the full seven minutes. That's never mm-hmm. happened. And sometimes it's only 30 seconds or a minute of the whole thing that I really get that quiet time. But I feel like that's a success. That's a successful Absolutely. meditation because there are times when I meditate for seven minutes and, and it's my my mind never gets there. I'm all I'm just maybe I have something on my mind that I'm just letting come to the forefront too much and I just can't completely let go. Yeah. So I I agree with you. I think that if you achieve it at all that that's a success. And actually it took me a full year. I actually just had this experience recently. It took me a full year of meditating nearly every day. For me to actually achieve that moment of being nothing but consciousness, where it was, I felt like I was in a quiet room and I could see everything, but there was no chatter going on. 
And I thought, oh, this is what I've been working for this whole time was getting to this. And so I felt like I had achieved my meditation at that point. But it was a very small period of time during the time I'd been sitting there and pushing my thoughts away and pushing my thoughts away, pushing my thoughts away. Because that is what it feels like. Yeah. I um I would recommend, I follow what Abraham Hicks recommends, and that is to meditate as early as possible from waking. When you sleep, you stop all momentum. And that means that when you wake up, you're at a really good starting point of finding a higher vibration. Everything is about finding that higher vibration so that you are that beacon of attraction for the things that you want. So what I do is my alarm goes off, I grab my pillow and I stick it on my bed and I sit on it and I do 15 minutes of meditation right away before I even get up. And you don't have to do it that way, but just as early as possible because what you're talking about, those times where you can't shut your mind off, there's a lot of things going on in your day that you're now processing in your mind. So catching it early is is the best recommendation. Um, 15 to 20 minutes, I think, is a good standing point. I've done 30 minutes in the past. I used to just let it go until I felt like the energy stopped. Um, and I must have needed that at the time. But now I'm down to about 15 minutes. And I just focus on a sound. Mm-hmm. Our, it's you know winter, almost winter time here. And so our heat kicks on at 530 in the morning. And we have a heat pump right outside of our bedroom window. And so I just focus on the sound that that's making Mm. and bring my attention back to the sound, back to the sound. It's just white noise. And when I feel like my mind has wandered, I bring my attention back to the sound like you do with your Mm. breath. And then when the 15 minutes is up, then, then I'm good for the day. I don't usually do a second meditation, but I have before if I've just been feeling off. But that has been beneficial to me just to spend those 15 minutes focused on not thinking. What do you think of shorter meditation sessions? Like in my opinion, I feel like people are better served doing frequent but shorter meditations than infrequent but longer meditations. So like maybe somebody's doing it for an hour once a month. I feel like Mm. they'd probably be better off doing five minutes a day every day. I agree with you. I think that it should be a daily practice. I think that if you get into a daily practice, that's offering you the best case scenario for that day. I mean, you, your day, sometimes you just have a bad day and that's a frequency. I mean, we're always trying to be in that good, high energy kind of feeling because the point of life is to be satisfied and you're satisfied when you attract the things you want. Mm. So if you're doing it on a daily basis, you're offering yourself the opportunity to vibrate higher. And that's the goal. So I would definitely recommend daily practice if you can. But obviously don't stress out about it because that defeats the purpose. Okay. So as far as law of attraction and mental health goes, how do you see those two fitting in together? When I had found the law of attraction the second time around, not with the secret. And I started really studying it and understanding it. I thought that I would do therapy different now. And I hadn't been practicing. um, I'm not at an agency or anything. But if I was, 
I would not talk about people's problems anymore in therapy. And that's what a lot of therapists do because people come in with their problems and that's what they want to talk about. They want to uncover the root of that issue. And I don't think that that's necessary because what you focus on grows. And I don't want to grow your problem. I want to grow the solution. So I would change that. I would say, okay, so you've just told me that you have this problem with your spouse. So now that you know what you don't want, what do you want? And that's always the opposite, right? You always know one or the other. You always know what you want or what you don't want. And there's that duality, that dichotomy that's happening. And then you choose to line up with the thing that you do want and talk about that. Well, what I want is I want to feel in love with my spouse again. I want us to communicate. I want us to hold hands. I want to feel like I have this partner and friendship. That's what you want. What you're experiencing is the opposite of that. But as you talk about what you want, you're literally bringing that feeling into your body and you're attracting it to you. And you'll see relationships change. Your whole life will unfold in a different way just by lining up with what you want. So that's where I see mental health and law of attraction merging. You mentioned you know what you want or don't want. Are there, I feel like I know the answer to this, but is there, is it okay to think about what you don't want and focus on what you don't want? I don't want this to happen. Or are you more likely to make that happen? I would say, (laughs) I think you do know the answer to this. I would say acknowledge it, acknowledge what you don't want, and then go, okay, now that I know what I don't want, that means that this is what I do want. You always want to pivot and point. Remember, you're the pointer. You're either pointing toward, you're always pointing toward what you're going to get. Let's think about it that way. Whatever you're pointing at, that's what's coming on down the way. So do you want to point to the thing you don't want, or do you want to point to the thing you do want? Do you have any, so from what I understand, you know, if I'll use AI to do some research for each podcast and, you know, asking Google Bard, what's the scientific evidence for the law of attraction? It'll essentially tell you that the evidence is, there's clear evidence that the way you think affects your reality. You know, like the way you, the way you think about things, if you're negative all the time, you're going to interpret things at the very least more negatively. If you're positive, you're going to interpret things more positively or look at the bright side of things. And the evidence on that is pretty well there. Like there's scientific evidence for that. But as far as science and the law of attraction, that seems to be the end of it. So what do you feel like the science ultimately says about the law of attraction? I'm actually not interested in what the science says about it now, but I am interested in what the science will prove once it lines up with law of attraction. Hmm. Imagine that. Imagine when scientists realize that the results of their study will reflect their intention for the study. 
think of the possibilities of that for research and uh, cures. When you line up with something that you're wanting to find, that's powerful stuff. And that is law of attraction working within science. But that would not only allow us to get whatever benefit there is from that study or that scientific growth, but it allows law of attraction to be supported. Because if that is a variable in the study where they're saying, hmm, I'm going to see this, I'm going to test this and see if law of attraction works within this study, how cool would that be? Yeah, it kind of goes against how most people view the scientific process Mm -hmm. because generally scientists are supposed to be, they're not like objective. Yeah, objective, neutral. Like you're not supposed to go into something saying, I want this to be the end result because that could bias your results, you know, that can make you look at things and interpret things in a way to support your theory or your hypothesis without actually being there. You can miss things that go against what you're trying to prove. Right. So what would it be? Would it be a new field then? It would be a completely different field of research that allows for this other element. And maybe people would say, well, that's soft science then. That's not hard science. But I would say that that's a win if you're proving that law of attraction is at work where your mind and your intentions are within research because that's happening whether we're saying it is or not. It's, it's universal law. It's happening. And until we acknowledge it as a collective, it's going to be one of those things where people just don't accept it because they're more science-based. How do you handle setbacks and managing realistic expectations when it comes to the law of attraction? Um, I don't know if you've seen the show Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but I love that show. And they're, they have a, an episode where they kind of, they, they mock the idea of vision boards a little bit, you know, like, oh, you just put it on a board and then it happens, you know? So like, just put a bunch of gold on a board and you'll get a bunch of gold. And that's clearly a caricature of, of the law of attraction and, and manifesting and, and vision boards. But how do you balance creating a vision and speaking your desires and and trying to attract what you want with having realistic expectations and managing setbacks or or knockdowns that happen along the way i think this really comes down to stepping into your own power and understanding just how much influence you have It kind of reminds me of the conversation we were having about validating and looking for things that prove you to be right. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for something to show you it's not going to work, then that's going to happen. If you're looking for something to show you it does work, then that's going to happen. Actually, I just got out of an interview with an intuitive and she What she does is she channels spirit and she works with other people who come, they ask questions. And spirit had told her before the session, 
everything that this person asks, we will give the wrong answer to. Mm. And she was like, well, why are you going to do that? Like, that's not what we're doing. I'm not here to give out false information. I'm here to help this person. They want answers. And Spirit told her, yes, but they believe that everything is going to be wrong. They are looking for it to be wrong. And that is what we can provide because we are lining up with their intention. Hmm. So, you know, if you're looking for the COVID vaccine to be dangerous, it's going to be dangerous. If you're looking for it to be helpful and you really believe it, you have to really believe it, it'll be that part of your reality. And that's why these things are so different for everybody. And you can't generalize. Expectations are powerful things. And sometimes we expect things because of our history and our experience. And so we expect the same thing to happen again. And a lot of times that's accurate. But my question to you would be, are you expecting something that serves you or not? Because you get to choose what you believe. And we all have reasons for our beliefs. But in, at the end of the day, we get to choose our beliefs. So an expectation is a belief. Mm-hmm. So are you going to expect it the way you want it to be? Or are you going to expect it a different way just because it's been like that before? Do you want to be validated or do you want to be happy? When you go along the path of trying to manifest and and you believe that you could achieve what you want to, how do you actually figure out what the right expectation is? Because you, let's say my goal is to have a million downloads per episode in the podcast. Um, it's going to take some time. So realistically, like if I try to manifest that, it's not going to happen next week. It's probably not going to happen within a year. It's going to take some time. How do you find what the right expectation to set is. Okay. So if you and I had been in session just then, I would have interrupted you because you just threw probably four rocks on your path to your goal. You brought in some resistance. Everything is about allowing. Okay. Let's talk about the vortex. (laughs) The vortex is the vibrational reality. That's where all these things that you want in your life reside until you are able to allow them into your physical reality. The way you do that is by feeling good, by lining up with those good feelings. And let's say you're sitting with the idea of having a million downloads and you feel so good thinking about it. You feel like screaming, like, "Woo! it just happened. I can't believe it. It happened in a day. Let's say, let's say you created that in a day because you had zero resistance. It was all allowing and it came in tomorrow. How would that feel? That would feel exhilarating. That would feel surprising, but in the best way, right? Exciting. But when you were talking about it, you said things like, it's going to take some time. It's not going to happen right away. Probably not going to happen within a year. You are literally bringing resistance into the way between you and your desire. But that is your expectation, and therefore it will be. So expect it to be the way 
you want it to be, but not in a way that adds resistance. So let's say that goes the other way too. If you're like, I want a million downloads on a podcast episode tomorrow, that comes with a huge amount of resistance, right? You just put so much pressure on in the timeline for it to happen right now, Mm -hmm. but you don't actually believe it's going to happen. That's resistant. So it's an art. It's an art of allowing. And really, it comes down to more general focus. Just like, you know what? I've already come so far. Look at how many downloads I have now compared to how many I had when I first started. Like, I've really come a long way in that. And I really feel people's support. People seem to really like the podcast. I've found my tribe of people who like listening. And that's going to grow because it's already grown. And I have a lot of other things going going on in my life that are going really well. And if I just focus on those things and not focus on what I don't have, then I'm going to open up the gateways for that to come and match these other things that are going so well. And that's kind of how you just mellow out those expectations and clear out a little bit of the resistance to allow more in. Okay. So a lot of it has to do with not having, almost not setting too concrete of an expectation as far as time and stuff like that is considered. I would say that that's probably a good suggestion. Overall, what you want to do is whatever feels good to you right now. You just got to chill out, relax, and realize that it's not serious business. It's okay. It's going to come when it comes and when I'm ready for it. What are some... Explain manifesting, if you will. My girlfriend is big into it, but it it's always kind of been a little bit elusive to me. Maybe I just haven't spent the right amount of time on it. But if somebody is listening and they're like, I want to try to manifest the reality that I want, how would they go about that? I would say if you're just starting out, then start with something small, like a caramello, (laughs) because that's what worked for me. (laughs) And something that has very little resistance to you. It's not big meaning, right? It's not your career. It's not your love life. It's not money. And have fun with it. And just put it out there, whatever it is you want, something small, and then forget about it. Forget about it and go about living your happy life. But the way you feel matters. You can't just want something and then go living about your miserable life and expect it to come to you because you're attracting negative. You're not attracting what you want. You have to line up with the things that you want in order for them to come to you. So pick something small and let it go. And then just find something that makes you feel good. And when it comes, give yourself the credit and go, I did this. I brought this to me. I attracted this to me. And then that will lead to another opportunity and another opportunity. And once you start seeing it happen, now you're full-fledged believing it. And it'll become a natural thing at that point to where you can start really creating anything. I mean, there's nothing's off limits. The, the, anything that you can want is within your grasp if you believe it to be. Okay. So as far as the actual process of manifesting something, you're saying just put something that you want out there. You want steps. Yeah. No. So like 
a lot of people will go about their day and they'll acknowledge something in their mind that they want. I want to win the lottery. But they're not like really manifesting. They're just expressing something that they'd want. They're making a wish, I guess you can say, but they're not really putting, I don't know, that, that wouldn't be considered manifesting, right? Well, let's talk about what a manifestation is. Because what you just mentioned is also a manifestation. When you have a thought, then that is a manifestation. That thought occurred to you because whatever it relates to is starting to manifest into reality, into physical reality. And that's the way it works. So here's, okay, here's the gist. Life happens, things happen that you don't like, and you're like, ugh, I don't want that. Well, that right there created the opposite in your vibrational reality. Um, I don't know. What, what, what's an example? Something you wouldn't want. Um, like you're just driving. I don't want to get in a car accident. Okay. So, but you do because the life has to actually happen. It has to be something that occurred to you. So let's say you bumped into somebody at a stop sign. Oh my gosh. Now you're dealing with this, right? You're dealing with this fender bender. Well, that just created in your vibrational reality the opposite of that, which is an occurrence of that not happening while you're driving, which really is happening more of the time, right? But we're not going, wow, I manifested a great driving experience today because <laughs> we're not acknowledging it. But that, that is what's happening naturally. But anything that happens that you don't want, say you got in a fight with somebody, you got scratched by the cat, whatever it is, that creates the opposite in your vibrational reality. Then as time goes on, you will have a thought about something. Let's use your podcast as an example because that's been our focus. So now you get an idea for an episode. That thought is a manifested version of what's in your vibrational reality. Maybe that episode is the one that's going to get so many hits mm -hmm. and you follow it. You follow that inspiration. You go and you record it and it manifests into reality. Do you see the way it kind of progresses? It was sitting there. It manifested as a thought. You felt inspired to take action on it, and it led to it being a physical manifestation of success in your life. That's the way manifestation works every single time. It is it it's, starts vibrationally, and it comes into physicality. But we don't usually recognize our thoughts as being manifestations, but they are. Okay. Um, you mentioned living a satisfied life. And I'm curious about the use of that word satisfied because I, my opinion is happiness is probably not the right pursuit for most people. It's not a sustainable pursuit. Like you're, you're bound to be unhappy at certain times in your life. Like you can pursue purpose, you can pursue meaning, but pursuing happiness is a bit more elusive. So you can't, you, you can't guarantee that even if you're doing something that you love, you, you can't guarantee that you're going to be happy in every moment that you're doing it because you might be frustrated sometimes. You still love it, but you're frustrated. Um, you might 
feel a little defeated at times. You might feel all sorts of things. There might be some sadness in what you love. Um, can you, like, is the word satisfied to you intentional? Like, is that an intentional use of that word? And, and maybe you want to comment on what I've just said. Yeah, I think that's why you picked up on it, because happiness does come with resistance. It's kind of like God. God comes with a lot of baggage because a lot of people have pinned certain beliefs or aspects onto what God is. Happiness is the same way. There's a lot of baggage that comes with it, but satisfied, hmm, satisfied. I could reach for satisfaction. It just feels easier to obtain. Yeah. And that's the idea is to lower resistance and get you more into a state of allowing and reaching for satisfaction in this moment could be sitting and doing nothing. Doesn't mean that you have to be gleeful. You're satisfied. That's good enough. That's great, actually. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that everyone has like a different conception of what God is. And I, I think that's interesting. I have. I know people who are atheists, and I, I'm not an atheist any longer. I don't consider myself an atheist. Um, but I've listened to some certain atheist friends talk, and uh, I've heard people say stuff like, yeah, "I don't, I don't think there's a guy in the sky, in the clouds, making things happen, or something like that." And I always think that's kind of funny when people who doubt the existence of God or a God uh, say things in that way. And it's like, yeah, I don't think anyone above the age of three thinks that <laughs> that's what God is, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> I haven't thought about the man with the big white beard in many, many years. <laughs> yeah, but for some reason, uh, people that lean more atheist will kind of paint this straw man childish version of what god is and be like that's bullshit that doesn't exist and it's like well yeah anyone can argue against that god you know that's a good point i had never really considered that before but it's interesting to hear you talk about it and now i'm going to be more aware of when people do try to talk god down is that the image of god that they're referring to and it kind of makes me think psychology, you know, is coming into play here, but did something happen at some point in their childhood where that was the God belief mm. that at some point when they still pictured this guy in the sky, something happened to make them turn away from the idea of God altogether. And so they're left with that image. And that's what they speak to even in adulthood. Yeah. I, I live in into Utah. That. So I, uh... I think, I mean, there's a lot of Mormons in Utah, and some of them listen to the podcast, maybe. So hopefully I'm not offending anyone, but I feel like <laughs> a lot of times when people leave the Mormon church, they they leave it with some like animosity, because there is a little bit of a, a cultishness around the Mormon church in the, in the very active communities. And like, the, I think this is true with like most religions. Like if you get in an area where there's like a high concentration of people in any one religion, then there tends to be this like 
I don't know, people stop acting in the way that the religion actually wants them to, and more of like a, hey, I'm better at the religion than you are, you know, like it's like a sizing up. Competition. Yeah, it's a, it's a competition. And um, in Utah, I think <laughs> people that leave the Mormon church have this uh, negative negative view of religion in general. And it it's something that's interesting because there's more than one religion. Right. Well, that, that's a good point. Have you ever heard somebody say that the most judgmental person they ever knew were people in the church? Yeah. And even though you go to church and they're like, do not judge others. And yet here you are saying my view is the right view. And if you don't believe what I believe, you're going to hell. Yeah. You know, that that's off-putting to people <laughs> that you can't yeah. see their goodness because they see re- religious beliefs in a different way than you do. And like you're talking about it happening within the community, which is really interesting. Like even in the same religious circle, there's this, yes, you might be Mormon also, but I'm more Mormon than you are. (laughs) And I think there's just that desire to be right. And people want to be able to say, what I'm doing is right, and everybody else should be doing it this way too. When really it's, what I'm doing is right for me, and I'm good with that. What is it for you? What's right for you? And that should be the question. When it comes to the law of attraction, we all have cognitive biases. We read into things that we want to. Whether it is that you, and and we've already touched on this to some degree, but if you want to believe the law of attraction is true, you're going to find, you're going to see the things that prove it's true, potentially. And if you want to believe it's wrong, you're going to interpret things in a way that proves that it's wrong. At least this is like... That is the nature of law of attraction. Yeah, the tendency of people to do. So how do you separate your cognitive biases from an actual interpretation of what's going on? So are you asking me, how would I go about convincing somebody who doesn't believe in law of attraction to believe in law of attraction? Not exactly, but you can answer it that way if you like. Because I don't think it's possible. I think that we all believe what we believe for whatever reason. And whatever point you're at in your life, that's the right point for you right now. And I would never try to persuade you to believe anything else. With the podcast, you'll understand this. We put ourselves out there and we're saying what we think and what we believe and what we feel. And we know that People might be critical of that. We might receive some criticism or some negative reviews, but there comes a point where you have to go, that's okay, because they're on their path and maybe we're just not going to connect in that way. Mm. But I have found my tribe of people through the podcast because I am putting myself out there and I'm saying, this is where I am in my journey. And then other people are attracted to me because. We're having similar experiences, or they resonate with something that I'm saying. 
And that's all I care about. I care yeah. about the positive influence that it offers. If there are biases, then they're there for a reason. And if you want to look at yours and you want to evaluate whether they're serving you or not, then I support you in that. And I would help you to pick that apart and see what that is. But I'm never going to come and say, well, you need to believe it this way because law of attraction is working this way and it's working against you because that person is going to resist me 100%. They're, they're not open and they believe what they believe. And I believe that they are going to find their way no matter what. You mentioned you believe, tell me if I'm saying this wrong, everyone is where they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's listening to this and they're maybe they just lost their job, they don't know how they're going to pay their rent next month, they, um, their car is broken down, they don't know how to pay for that, everything's going to shit in their life right now. And they're, they might be listening and say, how can everything be right where it's supposed to be in my life? How can this possibly be where everything is supposed to be right now? Those are those contrasting experiences I was talking about. Those are the things that you recognize as the things you don't want, which are then creating the opposite in your vibrational reality. So even though you're not lined up with it, it's okay. You're creating it anyway. It's just the difference. What I talk about is being a deliberate creator. We're all creating our realities. But what I'm teaching is how to do it on purpose so that you get it to be the way you want it to be. Most people are creating by default. And sometimes they get what they want and sometimes they don't. Hmm. But if you just lost your job and you're in a state of unhappiness right now, dissatisfaction, let's call it that, that's okay. And I know you don't feel like it's okay, but eventually it will be better. And how many times have we heard stories where people are like, I got fired from my job and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. In time, everything makes sense. Yeah, I, you have a very good point there. Like, Oftentimes what seems bad right now isn't so bad looking back a year later or, or however long later, you know, your perspective on things changes. And I think that is very valuable. In your own personal life, uh, you mentioned the Caramello earlier yeah. with how it started. Like, can you dive into a little bit more about how the law of attraction has benefited you as you've gotten more into it? Yeah, that's a good question. Overall, I would say that the people I have met, the rendezvous that I've had, have been the biggest influence on me as far as relating to law of attraction and feeling appreciation for it. I, When I went through what I refer to as my spiritual awakening, it felt lonely to me because no one in my direct friends or family was aligned with that way of seeing the world. I was all by myself. And then I was inspired to start the podcast. And I have since met so many people that understand where I am. And that 
was law of attraction at work in the best way for me? I didn't know the podcast was going to lead me to meeting all these people. I thought I was going to do solos forever. I was like, I'm just going to do solos. I'm never going to do an interview ever. And that has since changed. And it's just funny how those things work out. You don't really realize it until you look back. When it's happening, you're thinking, oh, okay, I'm just going to take this small step and this small step and this small step. And the next thing you know, you have this worldly group of friends. I have friends all across the world now that I didn't have a year ago, mm. you know? Yeah. And and that's been huge in my life. And I think that it was just lining up with wanting somebody to connect with in a spiritual way. And it it happened. Do you feel like there is a lack of spirituality in mental health counseling? That's a tricky question, Artie, because I try not to focus on the lack of anything mm. because okay. I don't want to contribute to the lack of things. Um, I have a little bias there. So I, I do feel, this is what I feel. I feel like the mental health field would be benefited by incorporating in some spiritual elements. Hmm. And I think that a lot of people are leaning that way. I think a lot of therapists are already incorporating that into their practice, even though they might not be able to chart about it because it's not evidence-based. But I think that I am seeing a shift in consciousness on more of a collective level. And I feel that we are moving more toward a spiritual understanding or coming into a knowing of more spiritual aspects in our lives and acknowledging it. And I think the mental health field will be a part of that. Can the law of attraction work for people that want to do negative things to other people? No. Okay. Because there's no law of assertion. You can't change things for other people. You can only do it for yourself. Now, with that said, if you have a desire to lift someone up or contribute to them in some kind of beneficial way, that will work for you. But only when it's for their higher good. You can never cause harm through law of attraction for somebody. It's not like having a doll that you stick pins in or something like that. It doesn't work yeah. that way. Yeah. Okay. So you're doing the podcast. Are you doing any, do you do like coaching for mental health right now too? Yeah. I offer uh, co-creation sessions. People can schedule to work with me privately or as an episode for the podcast. Okay. Um, I'm also doing podcasting consulting and I have a Patreon account if people want to become a member of that just to kind of be more involved with the things that I'm creating. What would you like to see in the future of mental health and therapy and all that? Like it, I know you mentioned how you would do things differently if you would do it again. Is that how you think it should be on a broader scale? And what do people in the mental health field need to change as far as the way they're looking at things? I think reframing is a big part of it. Let's not 
focus on the problems in people's lives. Let's reframe it within the solution and bring focus on that and talk about that and really get some energy going and some momentum going about what the people really want to produce in their life. That's the way we can support people in the most beneficial way is to back them up and get behind them on the things that they really want. So we touched on open-mindedness and skepticism is another thing that I think benefits. There's a benefit to skepticism, like being skeptical of certain things that can have a benefit. How do you balance open-mindedness open-mindedness with skepticism. Um, and how does that tie into psychology for you? Obviously, we talked about science, having a love-hate relationship with science. Science deals with skepticism quite often. Um, you don't in, in science, you're not supposed to just accept something as true. You want to prove it and you know test it. So how do you balance open-mindedness with skepticism? Or, or do you need to balance it? I don't know if you can balance that. I think that you can line up with one or the other. And as far as skepticism goes, I, I mean, you believe what you believe and words don't teach. So I can talk to you about what I believe, but it's not going to convince you to believe it. Only life experience can teach you what you believe. So I can't say enough words on a subject to get you to believe it. But if you live it, if you live an experience and step into a different knowing, then that could turn your skepticism into believing. You mentioned a couple books, uh, Abraham Ethram. Abraham Hicks. Abraham Hicks. Um, that's not the author, right? It's uh, No, it's Esther Hicks is Esther the author. Hicks. Esther and Jerry Hicks. And the book for me was Ask and It Is Given. But there's also other books okay. where it's the teachings of Abraham. What are, are there any other books that you would recommend, um, either along with the Law of Attraction or any other books that you've read over the years that you you would like to just promote and have people more people read? Um, I would say that the Conversations with God book series was big in my life. It definitely pointed me down my direction. Any of the Abraham Hicks teachings books I would recommend. I also read a book recently called Anastasia. And it's a Russian name. Vladimir... I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I think it's M-E-R-E. And that book really had an impact on me. It was given to me by my uncle. He sent it to me in the mail and I didn't have a book I was reading. So I read it and it was astounding. And then I recommended it to a friend and I looked it up on Amazon and it was $86 for this tiny little book. And I was like, oh my gosh, this book is so expensive. (laughs) So I let her borrow it instead of buying it for her. But But it really had a big impact on me and it made me think, well, maybe that's why it's so expensive because there's a lot of value in this book. So I would say that those would be my recommendations for books. Okay. And then before we wrap up, do you want to give listeners anything you want to share, but also where to find you? 
uh, more about your podcast, just anything you'd like to share with listeners? Well, um, as far as finding me, I'm I'm on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Um, did I say Instagram on there too? Yeah. And um, under Dr. Williams Podcast, there's also the Patreon account or my website is drwilliamspodcast.com. Um, that's, that's it for finding me. If you wanted to work with me, you can find the scheduling calendar there. But a message for all of you listening, I would just say the best advice that I could ever give is to not worry about anything and don't try too hard to make anything happen. Even though I talk about being a deliberate creator, which sounds like taking a lot of action, the best thing that you could possibly do is just whatever feels good to you right now. And for me lately, that's been laying on my bed when the sunbeam comes in and reading a book. And I feel so powerful when I do that because I know that I'm aligned with my higher self because nothing in the world feels better than sitting in that moment right there. And that's what I would recommend for all of you is to do whatever feels good right now. Awesome. Is it okay if I ask you another question that just popped into my mind? Yeah, you got it. Um, a lot of people have anxiety, depression, things like that. How does that work with the law of attraction? Is there a certain, like if you, if you focus on those conditions you have, depression, anxiety, are you inviting more of those things into your life? Yes, that is the way it works. You get to being depressed by focusing on things that don't feel good to you and it grows and grows and grows in order to pull out of it you really have to do the opposite and focus on something that does feel good to you and for depression specifically it can be very debilitating for people sometimes people can't even get out of bed or take care of themselves because they are just so in that state of not feeling good and i would just say in every moment, there is something to appreciate. And if you look for it, you'll find it. But you have to care about the way you feel and you have to actually want to feel better. And I'm not saying that people that are depressed want to feel depressed, but there is an investment that's done there. And if you continue to look at the reasons why you're depressed, you'll continue to feel depressed. But if you can lay in bed and appreciate the softness of your bed, the squishiness of your pillow and how warm and cozy it feels, even for 16 seconds, that will allow your mind to produce another thought that is along those lines. And that is how you can literally pull yourself out of a depression while you're laying in bed, is just by appreciating the way that that feels. Anxiety is similar. You're focusing on the things that are producing that anxious feeling. And usually it's an out of control feeling. There's something that you can't do anything about. Yeah. But there's still something you can appreciate right now. And if it helps you to go take a shower, then take a shower and just focus on the hot water and the way it feels. That's a form of meditation right there where you're just pulling yourself into your body in a positive way. 
and allows your mind a chance to relax from all that negativity that it's been focused on. Awesome. Thank Did you. that answer your question? Yeah, it definitely does. Thank you okay. so much. Anything else you want to share before we wrap up? No, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Um, it's been an honor and I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, me too. I very much appreciate you coming on and talking to me. All right. Sorry, you can hear my cat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> At least he waited to the end, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Dr. Williams, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Thoughtfully Mindless. If our conversations resonate with you, consider leaving a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your streaming platform of choice. Your ratings help us grow and reach more listeners. Don't hesitate to spread the word about our podcast. It's one of the best ways you can support us. I'm always eager to hear from you. So find me on Twitter at TMConvos or follow us on Instagram at ThoughtfullyMindless for a peek behind the scenes and more thoughtful content. And if you're looking for additional ways to support the show, visit FractalZoo.net where you can find exclusive t-shirts and apparel. Each purchase contributes directly to the podcast and allows us to keep bringing you content that matters. Thank you once again for lending us your ears. Until next time, stay thoughtfully mindless.